When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, well, we are back. It's 2020. You've heard us talk in 2020 before, but we're back with these bonus additional episodes of the show where we go beyond merely what's new, cool, and worth talking about to what's old, boring, and barely worth mentioning. No, uh, <laughs> all kinds of different topics that don't usually fall within the purview of what we usually do. Today's show is a winter-spring preview, buy, sell, hold, much like we did in the fall, where we picked 10 buzzy books coming out between now and what, April 30th, we said, these what these are, Rebecca? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's 13 of them. And we're going to say whether or not we think we should buy or hold or sell stock in them, meaning do we think they are going to overperform, perform, or underperform their pre-publication hype? Does that, is that that's what we're agreeing this means, Rebecca? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. I guess it's some combination of cells, public consciousness, you know, chatter, longevity. It's nice that the metric is vague because we never need to be called to account on it. That's why it's right. usefully vague. Yeah. I think of it too as like, am I going to invest in this author's long-term yeah. prospects based on how this book performs? Right. So we've got 13 of them. So we got to move through them pretty quickly. Uh, but before we get started, let's do a sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, these are in publication order date. And while we're spooled up and before we into, we got a mini rant about this first <laughs> book, which I am very much looking forward to reading. I think we might even spend more time on it in a different mm -hmm. episode later on down the road. Such a fun age by Kylie Reed, which by our own account is not does not qualify for this buy sell hold episode. It doesn't. It was published on December thirty first. Um, I recommended it on the January seventh episode of the All the Books podcast because that's a date on which books were published that people were actually <laughs> reading books. Um, it is fantastic. I'm going to maybe show my hand a little bit there. And our mini rant is WTF publishers putting out a great book on December 31st. It's too late to be in best books of the year posts, especially because like Christmas creep has happened yes. and best books of the year lists come out in October and people use them to buy their books for the holidays, which are over before December 31st. And then it was published in 2019. So it's too old by 24 hours to be on best books of 2020 lists, but I think it belongs there anyway. So here we are, our first buy, sell, hold. 
Yeah, um, I guess maybe in New Zealand it was 2020. <laughs> when it was, I don't know how these yeah, things work exactly. We've we've heard some speculation about why. Like I think originally it was scheduled to be published later in the spring, and the publisher bumped it to publish it sooner in December. I have heard speculation that that was done so that it could hit the bestseller list because, or to like increase the chances. Mm-hmm. Of it hitting the bestseller list because January 7th was a really big, like competitive field of new books. I don't think it really needed that help. No. Um, I, and maybe that's not even the reason, I, but I don't understand. Why do you put out a great book on December 31st? It must be, there has to be a reason to do it. I don't yeah, understand the value of any of them. We heard that about that should make the bestseller list, you know, have a weaker field. Stronger horse in a weaker field means you're going to perform better, I guess. Another thing we heard maybe it was a Reese's Book Club selection that maybe it needed to be a December or late 2019 book to fit that. I don't really, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that mm-hmm. would, that actually makes a little bit more sense to me than the bestseller one. We've heard about Oprah um, having influence over, what was that? Oh, Underground Railroad moved up, right? Yeah. Wasn't it Underground Railroad moved yeah, up? Yeah, under, I think Underground Railroad moved up. I've never heard of a Reese's no. pick like being tied to the publication date and we certainly like haven't seen data yet that would compel a publisher to change their publication date around reese witherspoon's whims i also don't think that the reese's book club is on like a really tight schedule about when they pick things that could be wrong i haven't paid close enough attention to it but um, lots of speculation i would love to know the actual reason because it's just a weird day to put out what is i think inarguably one of the best books of the year it's wild and it's out here us content creators care about this because we group things by year and so do other readers so that part of it is mm-hmm. concerning because it's too late as you said to talk about it for 2019 but also we have to then have this 15 minute discussion about whether or not it's a 2020 <laughs> book or not we're right. just going to say it is and kind of go from there. We're in there. charge, so that's what we're doing. But I think we're on the same page in this regard that our consternation is com- comes out of a place of like, this is a great book. I- I've a little bit into it. Um, I've heard many great things about it. I think I'll speak for both of us where this is a buy on the whole. Oh, this is yes. a debut author, um, an author of color. Publication date be damned. I think this is a book people are going to talk about. Now, is it going to break out of the... The normal people bubble. And I don't mean that by like normal people out there reading like the Sally Rooney normal people bubble of literary fiction. I think it has a chance to, I think it has a much more broad, a much broader sort of cultural appeal. It feels a little bit more of the time. It asks a little bit more interesting questions. Um, we did it's, get to see... Oh, go ahead there. I'm going to tell you about some sales from first week, but tell yeah, me about your yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's very contemporary. It's very of the moment. It's in that beautiful sweet spot of like commercially appealing and well-written. Yeah. Um, so book people like it. It's great for book clubs. There's just a ton to talk about, and it's good on the issues that it's about mm. without being preachy or heavy about them and it's i thought just really really terrific this is a it's a strong buy because the hype was huge it was acquired by putnam in a 10 publisher auction Mm. um the rights were acquired to make the film um, by lena waith back in 2018 you know almost two years before the book even came out she is incredible um also very like very of the moment really talented and has a, a smart and pointed perspective. Um, And I think especially if that film 
gets made, this book is going to just continue. I think it's going to have legs for a long time. Yeah. So the first week sales in BookScan, 10,000 plus copies in hardcover, debuted at number three. Looking at the books coming out the 7th and 14th, I still think it would be a bestseller. I mean, maybe they were trying to pad the stats and ensure that it would be, but I didn't think it needed it. Um, So now we get, they got what they wanted, and also it's a 2019 2019 title we're both buying i think also Mm -hmm. then the other thing we're buying here is kylie reed stock stock and kylie reed not just in such a fun age yeah great writer um this is a really strong debut she has an mfa from the iowa writers workshop she's very well connected as i said like super in the sweet spot of both literary and commercial Mm -hmm. and figured out how to do heavy social issues in a book that is a pay it's like a popcorner popcorn page turner that also really calls you to the carpet um, to consider your own place in society and privilege, depending on um, what your identity is and where you have come from. Um, I, I think she's, this is the beginning of a long career. It's a buy. Yeah. Big hype. She's going to out. She'll, she'll surpass it. Number two on the list. Um, we've got a couple of them vying for that. There's going to be a silent patient woman in the window, literary psychology thriller. There, there is... Now this is a thing that we do every year. We've got one or two mm-hmm. of these that come out. There's two in our list for this season, I think, competing for kind of the same lane. The first is Long Bright River by Liz Moore. It's a mystery that a lot of the verbiage... I'm going to read this one too, actually. Um, is, oh, yeah, I've already read oh, it. Oh, you already read it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me if I'm right. The, the verbiage is it's a literary thriller where you get a lot of backstory about the relationships uh, and the people in it, like you would get in more of a literary text, but it also has that thriller thing happening on top of it. I'm getting vi- Jane, Har- um, Jane Harper vibes from it, which I really like, Jane Harper, where she writes really interesting mysteries, but also really interesting family, friend, interpersonal dynamics at one at the same time. I think I think it may be not gimmicky enough um, to break out. So I think I'm going to hold. I've heard people really like it. I think it'll probably sell fairly well, but I don't think it's going to be going to break out. So I'm holding. What do you think about that, Rebecca? I'm at like a hold, maybe sell. Mm. And I really liked the book. Um, it's a thriller about a female detective. Um, she is solving or working to solve a series of murders um, that are all women. Um, The victims are all women. Many of them are addicted to opioids. And so the book also takes on the opioid crisis. And there's a connection because her sister has gone missing and her sister is an addict. And sometimes like in her life as a detective, when she's on her beat, she will see her sister out like in her world doing the things that she has to do to sustain, um, to sustain her life and to sustain her addiction. That like thread that runs through it is really compelling. There's a twist because it's a thriller, but it's not super, it's not a super surprising twist. I've seen a ton of promotion for this, Mm. but the sales don't look very strong from the first week. It didn't hit a bestseller list. I don't think it's unique enough in the field of, um, in the field of these kinds of thrillers to really pick up steam. Or as you said, like there's not um, a really sticky gimmick to it. And I think that these books where the big hook is uh, bad things keep happening to women are becoming less and less popular. I know I certainly have less of a taste for those. Um, So I, I'm on a, I'm on the fence of like seller hold. Liz Moore has a really passionate reader base and that I think will, will probably sustain some sales for this. That would be bigger than if this were a no name debut author. Um, But like on the book's merits itself, I would be a sell when you factor in Liz Moore's readership. I'm a hold. Okay. Uh, t- up next, Topics of Conversation by Miranda Popke, a debut 
it's called it an, I've read this one. It's called it's called a novel, but it's really more of a series of fragments. Like they're yeah, they're it's... they're conversation pieces that this unnamed narrator has with different women over life mm-hmm. over the course of twenty years. It's not very long. It's also not very long in a very small hardback format. Which rant, side rant? I hate small format hardbacks. <laughs> They're just hard to hold. Like I've and got also, big hands, like, and they don't. Anyway, that's a that's yeah, not related. Yeah, here's two hundred pages, and it'll still cost you twenty seven. Well, that is a separate thing. I did not like that either. I <laughs> bought it at Pals full freight one day, uh, I, and I did not love that experience. I, um, I read the digital galley of it, and I feel good about my ROI. <laughs> yeah, I like the book. I like the yeah. book. It's interesting. It's well done. I think it is too artsy to be anything but a hold at best. I'm also thinking that given the pre-hype buzz, I need to sell it. Just I don't think it's going to do much. Unnamed narrators, fragmentary pieces, difficult conversations. Some compared it to Jenny Offal's Department of Speculations. I don't think it's as funny as that. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's as much verve as that, which elevates, not elevates, but pulls off um, Department of Speculation out of this genre which is art genre which is fine it, this is one of those things where if you tell me in 20 years pop keys like virginia wolf i may not I, I like that i can totally see that but for this book at this point of time there's just not really enough of a hook to it i'm this is the anti-pattern to crawdads where it's i like it a lot better than crawdads as a literary and artistic project but everything i've learned about crawdads isn't here it's not plotty you know there's all these sort of yeah it's what's doing whatever the opposite of that is and boy, it's hard to buy that at this price. Yeah, I, I have read it also. It's, I think, really, you know, it's really quiet. It's looking for a lot of nuance in things that we've been talking about in culture in a relatively unnuanced way the last couple yeah. of years. Like the narrator wrestles with like shifting power dynamics um, sh- in sexual relationships with like sort of the tricky nature of desire and like the balance of essentially in some moments, like the balance of mystery and consent um, in a way that I think it'll be, I'm really interested in what the reader response to this book is. And when we talked about it on all the books, I was saying like, I'm recommending this. I enjoyed it a lot, but I'm recommending it more because I want to know what people yeah. are going to say about it, how they're going to talk about it um, more than like, this is a great book and everyone should read it. It's super trigger warner, warning e if um, for folks who have dealt with you know, sexual assault. Um, so that's an interesting note as well. And that just sort of like comes up. I think that... Um, she raises a lot of really interesting questions and they're the kinds of questions that I like to think about in fiction. But as you were saying, like there's not something that makes it really fun to read in the way that department of speculation was, or like um, chemistry by wakey Wang from a few years ago is a similarly like quiet novel, but it was also, it was funny and it did what it was doing in a unique way. Um, I've seen topics of conversation pitched as this year's book for people who loved Sally Rooney's conversations with friends, um, which I think that's about like the right level of expectation. Like there will be an internet bubble and kind of a New York literary bubble around this book, but you know, there was no information about like how big the book deal was in Publishers mm-hmm. Weekly. Um, there wasn't a first printing number released. It's not on any of the bestseller lists from from this first week. It came out on January 7th. I think the expectations are actually like relatively moderate and I think it could meet those. So I'm holding. Okay. Uh, I'm. If you don't have a plot, it's tough. That's on, that's that's as simple as that for this game, right? If you don't have plot, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to go anywhere from there. Um, I'll take the next couple just because I want to. Uh, Everywhere You Don't Belong by Gabriel Bump. I'm not sure this would be on anybody else's list unless 
there you or I. I mean, people are talking about it, like it's definitely coming up, but if someone's doing a buzz yeah, book of the spring. Yeah, this is our idiosyncratic wheelhouse pick. Yeah, Gabriel Bump. Um, it's a coming-of-age novel by about a character named Claude McKay Love. So it's loosely kind of based on the life and inspira- inspired by Claude McKay, who's a Harlem Renaissance writer. I think it's really interesting. I really like the book. I'm only holding it because no one knows who Claude McKay is, and that's tough. That's all. That's all, that's the only reason I'm holding it. Um, maybe sell even in expectations. I think it, for me, out of the 13 books, it's like one of the top two or three I was most interested in coming into the season. I hope people pick it up. I'm not sure where we are on literary coming of ages right now. It's been a while since I heard. What was? Can you think of the last literary coming of age novel that really broke out in any meaningful oh, way? That's a good question. Um, I'm just not sure that's what people are in for. It's got a, it's got a decent plot, but coming of age by by their natures are sort of an internal plot, like the development and action is of the mind and soul. And again. Jeff's razor for this is if it if it once you if you want to know what happens next that's good and if you only are like oh this is this feels interesting I think that's a holder sell so unfortunately I think I'm selling everywhere you don't mm. belong though I hope I de- this is the one I hope I'm wrong the most about here yeah I actually did not know that about the um, Harlem Renaissance writer mm. that was the inspiration that's for a bad it. sign so, Rebecca Shinsky that's well, a terrible no, no, no. sign I think it was a not good for you sign. for the book for the book oh for you oh, oh okay. yeah no I think it's like actually a fine sign because I'm super interested in this without mm. having that knowledge like um, that it's a coming of age story about a young black man from the south side of Chicago who leaves looking for a new place to belong and then discovers that when you're a young black man in America there yeah. is no safe place to belong Um the acquisition story here is really interesting. He got a six-figure deal for two books at Algonquin by an acquiring editor who want, made a preemptive offer, like did this at this size deal so that nobody else would get him. And that's that can be either something that like, you know, you spent a lot of money and it didn't go anywhere or mm-hmm. you spent a lot of money and you got way more than you were bargaining for. I'm a hold because I think it could go either way, but um, like coming of age in literary fiction has been done and done and done and done Mm -hmm. in stories about like young white dudes. But I think there's a lot of room for newer voices to be telling those kinds of stories. And I took this as also inspired by Bump's own life and experiences. So I think like a buildingsroman coming of age, like uh, from a young black writer, there's some there's some opportunity there. I'm hesitant because Algonquin doesn't typically have like giant marketing yeah. budgets. And to break this out I th- and like make good on your six-figure book deal, you probably would need a pretty big marketing budget or a lot of buzz, um, which could happen. So I'm holding. But I I'm, I wish I were buying, but I'm holding. Okay. Weather already said her name once today. Um, Jenny Offal's new book starring a librarian, which also <laughs> check and check. Perfect. I was very torn on this, Rebecca, because you and I like Jenny Offill. Um, Offill, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where to put the emphasis in those syllables. I'm never really <laughs> sure. Um, my gut says bye, but I feel like I'm in my own interest to bubble on it. Help me, help me decide <laughs> where where this is going to go. That's where I am too. My God gut damn it, says that's bye. no help well, to me at all. Okay, so here's my reasons. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think that we're right. Um, okay. I do think we can justify our, our bias here that um, the main character is a librarian. As you said, that's always really sticky. She's ca- been caring for her mother and a brother who is an addict, um, exploring women's experiences in literary fiction. This is like ground that we have trod before. But I think the plot hook 
here is her old mentor hosts a podcast about like the doom and gloom of the political mm-hmm. like in and the environment sort of like basically like let's despair about the world is my understanding of what this podcast is about and this mentor asks the main character to answer her mail and the mail she gets is from people on like all ends of the political spectrum it's short it's only 224 pages it sounds like it's going to be a good hook for book clubs and less like i i love department of speculation it's probably in my top like 25 novels but it's weird like it's weirdly yeah. structured and it is funny and it's not it's not linear and not like super easy to talk about. And I haven't seen the format of weather, but it sounds like this is a little bit more straightforward. And if there's more direct narrative than Department of Speculation and book clubs can latch onto this, book clubs that are made largely of women who are in the demographic that Jenny Offal is writing about, I think this could be a breakout for her um, from just like very great literary writer into a literary writer with commercial success. So I'm buying it. Yeah, it's it's one where I like the book. It did pretty well among the kinds of, uh, among the circle, the the normal people bubble. It did well. Mm-hmm. It was even yeah. maybe better, m- more widely acclaimed than uh, normal people. Do people re- who read Department of Speculation remember who wrote it? I guess that's the question mm. for any kind of book like this, where you're kind of trying to judge off one pretty good success before. Does anyone come back for seconds at the buffet? Really, it speaks to if you've got a brand and people or fans. Do you have fans for the author, or did people just like the book when they read mm-hmm. it at the same time? So I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, this also sounds like ripe for an HBO adaptation. Um, oh. I'm just coming off of the Tom Parada, Mrs. Fletcher adaptation <laughs> on HBO with Catherine Hahn, which was weird and uncomfortable and super great. She was so excellent for that. But this is a sh- like I want to watch this show about this middle aged woman answering weird mail from people about all their different kinds of despair about the world while also balancing her personal life. Yeah, I like that idea too. Um, Let's do another sponsor and then uh, you can tell me about some more. Here we go. All right. Where you want to go? Okay. Well, we're still in March. These first wow, couple months of the year. Wow, we're still in March. Yeah, we haven't been mentioning the, the publication dates. The bump, the Everywhere You Don't Belong is February 4th. Weather is in March, is that right? Yeah, March 10th? weather is, uh, no, sorry, web, weather is February 11th. Okay, February 11th. Yeah, so moving to March um, is Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. It's a YA spin on Anna Karenina pitched as part crazy rich Asians, part gossip girl. Um, it's about a Korean-American teenager um, at the center of the story. So sort of a loose adaptation in multiple ways of Anna Karenina. And this is a two-book deal, so it won't satisfy O'Neill's razor. Oh, wait, yet, is that Jeff. true? I don't. I didn't know that. Oh, that's <laughs> yep. so disappointing. It's, it's number one in the Anna Kay uh... series. <laughs> Look, Anna Karenina is like five thousand pages long. They couldn't put True. it in one volume. They they couldn't. Maybe that's why it's Anna K, not Anna Karenina. The the second book is in the called Arenina. Arenina. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the rights were acquired. Um, in January of 2019 for a TV series. Jenny Lee is a TV writer, so she's connected in that world. And I think that bodes well for the plot of the book as well. Like TV writers know how to plot and know how to keep you on the hook. I think this all really comes down to how it's positioned. If this is pitched as a YA book that's part Crazy Rich Asians and part Gossip Girl, that is solid. If they hang too heavily on the hook of this is a twist on Anna Karenina, I think that's a bad choice. Terrible choice. Um, Yeah, Yeah. but so I'm going to hold... um, I think it's going to do well. Hmm. I'm not sure. I got hung up a little bit on the 
we haven't seen a wonderful history of it's a character from literature with the spin, but also set in a different time and place. Like not, not a, I don't have a lot of data points that say, ah, I can connect it to something like that. Like Kishote sold fairly well. We both sold that um, in the fall, but that's a Rushdie pick. That's not a yeah. writer. No one's heard of it is the cover. I'm just looking at the cover and the format paperback original. I'm not sure what to say, but Oh no, I'm sorry. There is a hardcover. My mistake, my mistake. Um, it looks that the cover itself looks like it's trying to straddle the line between commercial fiction and literary, um, young adult fiction. Have you seen mm-hmm. the cover? Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a photograph of an actual person with sunglasses looking up, and then Anna Kay in a big serif font. So it really looks, it almost looks like a movie poster is the first thing I thought. Yeah, like if you had Constance Wu on that, it would look like the movie version of Anna totally. Kay. So. That gives me sense that there's juice behind it. I don't think I knew she was a TV writer. That's very interesting, though. Everything gets adapted. It's hard to know how that translates into mm. book sales. I I think I'm going to hold, just because I feel like I don't know enough. I just yeah, don't know I, enough about how this is going to go. I think that I was, you know, I was thinking about like how well, like Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You and those like the movies, but those teen versions of old classic beloved stories did in our youth (laughs) of um, you change the place and time and you change some like key identity factors about the main character and you just like put this story in a whole new spin and it can do really well it kind of makes me wish that they had just given the character a different name and not even mentioned that it's inspired by Anna Karenina like uh, one of the things that I think made Clueless work so well is that no one was like oh by the way this is Emma Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, that if they as I was saying like if they hang it on Crazy Rich Asians meets Gossip Girl I'm so down for that if someone handed me a YA book with a like with a less flashy cover as you were saying and they were like this is a teen spin on Anna Karenina I'm much less interested so I think a lot depends on the positioning yeah it's um I guess the question you're essentially asking is does the overt association with Anna Karenina do anything for it and it might even hinder it because if anyone says it's a version of Anna Karenina I don't have any idea what that is Especially uh, when know. your audience is teenagers, right. like, or when a large portion of your audience is teenagers. Of course, a lot of adults read YA, but like, is that supposed to be compelling to a 16-year-old that a librarian is recommending a book to? This is really when we need to be able to A-B test the universe, right? <laughs> and there's the same, the same, maybe every word in it is the same, except it's called Beth right. G, and it right. doesn't mention Anna Karenina. Like, even in the blurb, there's a twist on the famous first sentence of Anna Karenina about every happy family. Mm. So it seems like they're at least, they're not shying away from it as clearly as the title says. I guess that's where my ultimately my ambivalence is coming from is like that could be a benefit, it could mean nothing and it could be a detriment and I'm not even <laughs> sure where in that spectrum to to place my bet. So by definition that means I'm going to hold cuz I could get burned on a cell too. I think I could get burned on a cell, so I'm going to hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um Deacon King Kong by James McBride. Speaking of people and authors where you wonder if they have a brand um, big success with the Good Lord Bird won the Pulitzer Prize. This next book was nonfiction about James Brown that I don't think sold particularly well. Do you happen to know off the top of your head, Rebecca? I have no idea. I didn't see very much like publicity yeah. around it. I didn't see much either. So Deacon King Kong is James McBride's first novel since winning the Pulitzer Prize for Good Lord Bird. Good, Good Lord Bird was even a bit of a surprise at the time, if my memory was it. I think it was well regarded at the time, but I don't think it was a front runner by any stretch of the imagination. Good win for him. This book, I'm very excited to read. It's a set in the 60s in Brooklyn and the shooting happens 
and it happens outside of, I think, a barbershop or something, and the, there's characters that have names like Sport Code, and it's supposed to be a satire, but also kind of a mystery detective novel. Sounds to me trying to look for that Walter Mosley, Elmore, mm-hmm. Elmore Leonard, funny, gritty, readable, good cast of characters, good language, intense, vibrant setting lane, could very well herald, if this does well, we, we've got a new name. If it doesn't, Good Lord Bird is one of those standalone. We see this from time to time, like with Paul Harding's Tinkers or something like that. I think this is a chance to really pick up people who like crime fiction, plus like historical fiction, plus like, I don't know, fun, interesting. You still want to live in that world kind of a novel. Yeah, so that's, yeah. I think I'm going with a tentative buy on uh, Dick and King Kong by James McBride. I was really torn um because i always i think want james mcbride to be a bigger deal right than he is in the world of than he currently is in the world of books and readers i'm super intrigued by the setup and that the book is going to take a, a broad look at the impact of the shooting on the people who live in the neighborhood and that that mm-hmm. is a really diverse cast of characters reading about it i kept wishing this were set in 2020 oh. or like 2019 like i think for I, I just think for telling these kinds of stories and looking at a cast of characters in this way, there's there. I mean, not that 1969 was not interesting, especially for a book about race. Um, but I think if it wants to go big, a contemporary story has a better shot. So mm. I'm holding. Yeah, that makes sense. The early reviews have been good. Doesn't necessarily mean anything, but um, I don't know if people read Good Lord Bird. And if they did, they remember James McBride read it. And if they did, well, they'd be like, oh, I want to see what the next thing is. It has a, the, the vibe is sort of a psychedelic one. Like it is the late 60s mm-hmm. as Brooklyn, even the cover design has sort of like a Hunter S. Thompson kind of aesthetic. So I'm not sure that people are going to be interested in or expecting sort of zany or trippy kind of an inherent vice um, in Brooklyn kind of a vibe I'm getting from it. That's what I want. I'm very much yeah. into that. But if it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not everyone, unfortunately, for me and everyone else, I think. Um, but uh, it, it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I think I'm optimistically buying, but I could very well be wrong. Um, My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Do you want to talk about this one for a minute? Sure. Um, this one, there's a lot of buzz. The first printing um, is announced as 250,000 copies. That's a big deal. Comes out March 10th. Um, takes place on two timelines. One is in the year 2000, when the main character is a 15-year-old girl who has a, quote, affair with her 42-year-old English teacher. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm out. Um, and then the other timeline is in 2017 when that teacher has been accused of sexual abuse by another former student and has reached out to her to ask her to like speak up on his behalf the teacher has reached out now she has to decide how to frame what she's been thinking of as her first love um the blurb pitches it as something that juxtaposes memory and trauma um this is clearly like a provocative approach to all i think also trying to look for some nuance in the time of me too i cannot get outside myself Mm. on i cannot get outside myself on this i'm not ready for thought-provoking fiction about what's fundamentally a relationship in which a person is far too young to consent um or for like i'm ready for nuance about me too but i'm not ready for the nuance to be maybe this relationship between a 15 year old and a 42 year old was fine um i think it could be i haven't read the book i'm going to read it um 
I, I am curious about what fiction writers are doing with these issues these days. Um, and I think it could wrestle, like there's a way to wrestle with this stuff in a way that I do believe there are, are people who had these kinds of relationships that they thought at the time were positive experiences and that it would be jarring. I can believe this, that it would be jarring to 20 years later have that narrative reframed mm -hmm. you know, by someone on the outside who says, no, this is actually a bad, wrong thing that happened to you. Um, that could be interesting to read about. But I'm not down with this, like this being the approach to like, let's make it super entertaining while we wrestle with our identity about an affair that a, uh, not even an affair about a relationship that a 42 year old man had with a 15 year old and we'll print a quarter of a million of them and try to make it a big thing. Um, I just can't. I couldn't I be more there. out on it. I mean, I really couldn't be more out yeah, on it. So I, I, can't, I, can't I can't get, get outside there. of that. I, I'm selling it because I can't invest. <laughs> yeah. I'm selling it because I don't want this to work. I, yeah, I mean, same. to be perfectly honest, the, I'm glad it's a woman writing it for starters. So we, we wouldn't even be including it here if it was written by a dude, right? I don't think there's any question right. about that. I, again, I, I don't, I just don't think this, is, it's not what you want. It seems too soon. I, I know that's kind yeah. of a joke, but like, I don't think it is at this point, mm -hmm. like to resuscitate, are we 18 months, two years into Me Too? Maybe it's been longer than two, that. It, yeah, it, just over two years. It was 2017. It's like, are we really going to rehabilitate like overtly creepy? I mean, creepy is maybe even soft peddling this kind of a situation. Like, I don't know. Like Lolita already did this. I think right. like I think we already have the one Lolita, which is well, what if it was more complicated than you think? I'm like, okay, I'll do one of those. And maybe maybe we need a different, more modern reimagining of how to think sophisticatedly from multiple angles and say, yeah, this is not what you want. But it's also not as simple as just those four words coming out of my mouth. But for me personally, I'm not going to read this. I can't imagine enough people are going to be like, yeah, I'm into reading about this because it doesn't sound like it's plotty if it was super plotty maybe i'd have something to hang my hat on in terms of a buy sell hold but i'm not i, I just don't feel like i can do anything mm -hmm. but sell I, i'm selling from the soul here yeah and, same um, <laughs> may, maybe i'm wrong but i kind of hope i'm not uh, no offense to the people involved in making the book i i don't think it's inappropriate really i think you know this is a situation where it could be thought about in an interesting way but it's not for me so I'm just not ready for that. And I, I don't think we're, I don't think culture is ready for that. Yeah. And that there's a lot of work to be done in all the conversations, but in how fiction is going to explore this moment in time and in culture before we get to like, oh, maybe these kinds of relationships aren't actually that yeah. bad. I just, I'm, I'm not ready for that to be the thing yet. Speaking of, but let's go the other way. Something I'm totally into. So ready. New Waves by Kevin Wynn, um, who we know a little bit. Uh, we've worked for companies we worked with. He's been in the world of books online and off for, for a while now. This is a heist novel, heist gone wrong, set in the yeah. world of high technology. There's a, a little bit of a love story too. I can't tell. Can you tell? Is there a love story? I too? can't tell either. Yeah. I know that they're friends. They're like friends. it's about a, a, the woman is a programmer who's the only black employee mm -hmm. at this tech startup. Um, the dude character is one of many Asian employees, but he is low paid. He's on the customer service team. And as revenge, they team up for a high tech heist. Um, but then in the process, like, she dies and he yeah. discovers that she has a secret life. And he goes through her computer like 
figuring out, like putting all the digital pieces of her life together and trying to make sense of it. And then it's going to, it deals with race and startup culture and surveillance and life on the internet. Um, all of the, like, this is ringing every yeah. bell that I have. And we like Kevin, um, we should say. We like Kevin. Yeah, Kevin's a smart, interesting guy. Um, and if anybody is positioned to write about these things in a way that's interesting and also, like, I believe that this book is going to be really funny yeah. and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kevin is just like, he's the one for the job. I couldn't be more excited to buy it. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is from the Amazon, or the publisher's blurb on Amazon, a pitch perfect explores racist startup culture, secrecy and surveillance, social media and friendship. I think it's kind of like office space meets Gone Girl, but also about race, which is sounds fantastic mm. to me. I'm really yeah. looking I was, forward to it. I was kind of thinking of that plus like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, like, the heisty I just, part. I love a, yeah, well, office love space a has heist. a heist in it, right? I mean, they're getting revenge oh, on their... their, their <laughs> right. Their... But like not very slick revenge. <laughs> no, no, no. Very much um, half sleeve button downs and ties <laughs> right. sophistication. Also, one of, one of the... Uh, Again, I think Water Dancer was the first One World release, right? Mm, In the fall. Mm-hmm, this yeah. is also One World. I think this is just the second fiction um, release from One World, which is the imprint at Random House that's dedicated to books by historically marginalized marginalized people. I'm so glad for Kevin. I hope this book yeah. does great. I'm pre-ordered it. I'm ready yep. to go. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm I buying. think it has I'm real. Buying. I think it, yeah. I think it's it has real sleeper hit potential. I also want to watch the adaptation yeah. of this. Um, maybe at the end we'll have to do, we get to pick one adaptation that you know for sure will happen out of these 13, and we'll Ooh, have to see here. Okay. Uh, you want to take the next one? All right, yeah. The next one is The Glass Hotel. Oh, no. The next one is The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel. It's March 10th. Um, this is the final installment of the Wolf Hall trilogy. Um, the first two books of the trilogy, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Body, sold an estimated 650,000 copies combined in print only. I don't know what they did in ebook. I would hope they did a lot of ebook sales because these are big, ginormous <laughs> books. I heard they're great on audio, too. That's, I, I've heard the, but I, it's 50 hours, I'm but it's a- great on audio. I'm having a hard time with this one because there's I could not find any information about how much Hillary Mantel got paid to write yeah, these know. and how much she got paid to write them and how much money is being spent on marketing is really going into my math about this. Like this book will probably get nominated for awards. The last the last two of them were big award winners. They both won Very the Man like, Booker, Rebecca. It hasn't I been know. done in a trilogy where the first big, two installments won the yeah, Man Booker. Big acclaimed historical fiction. But like, just not that many people want to read a floppity jillion pages about one of the Cromwells. I can never even remember which yeah, one it is. Thomas. Um, six hundred and fifty thousand seemed like a low number to me for combined sales of the first two titles. Yeah. Like that's objectively a lot of books um, for any new release in any given year. But just over the amount of time those books have been out. I don't. It's not going to be a huge hit. I'm not buying Hillary Mantel at this point. I'm not quite ready to sell her because people like her. I, I'm very shruggy, so That's a I'm going to hold. I'm yeah. buying, and I'll tell you why. Because I was burned by the first two by not <laughs> thinking they were going to do anything. So if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong in a different way this time. Okay. This, bo- this series, I really like. I've read them both. I really like them both. If you told me that they've become the phenomenon that they've become, and again, we're not talking Millennium, Stieg Larson here, but for what they are, they both win the Man Booker. People look forward to it. If it, the third one wins them, even if the third one doesn't win the Man Booker, that two of them does, it's going to be like, it's got to be up there. It's like a more literary 
Ken Follett, Pillars of the Earth, historical fiction. This is the kind of thing that's going to be around forever, like the once in future mm-hmm. king. So I'm buying, but I'm buying for the, like I'm a, I'm putting it in my 401k. I'm not day trading Hillary Mantel. I'm putting it in my 401k. I'm holding it for 50 years and I'm going to okay. be living off the dividends in 2041. <laughs> That's that's the Your kind of buying. Kids are sending their kids to. Yeah, college that's right. It. It's going in the family trust, um, which I can fit in a shoebox. But actually, I won't be able to fit in the shoebox if it's these three books. I'll need like I'll need something bigger. I'll be like a, ba- a couple bankers box to fit them in. I just feel like this is one of those that if if Andrew Wiley doesn't represent this in the U.S., I bet he wish he did because he likes these fundamental, repeat, prestigious bestsellers that people who care about books like this read and love. And I don't think it's going to, you know, shoot to the top of the bestseller list. It's not going to have a Netflix adaptation. There were BBC adaptations that people liked. Actually, Mark Rylance played Thomas Cromwell, and it's mostly him not saying things. And it's it's a tough hang, even if you like the books. I tried it. I'm like, wow, this is even more boring than the books. And the books are not exactly rip-roaring. Um, I, I, that's, I'm, I think I just have to buy. The trajectory says buy. It doesn't make sense to me that this is a thing that people really like as much as they do. And it continues to be a mystery, so I'm going to buy. I'm going to like opposite it, like George, like George okay. Costanza. <laughs> I was wrong so many times. Do the opposite thing, and maybe you'll be right. So I'm buying okay. on um, right. the mirror and the light. 784 pages uh, short. For, That's a uh, commitment. It is. It is. But there we um, go. I just realized we skipped over a March 3rd release, The Night Watchman by Louise. Oh, hold that. Let's do another. You... Let's do our last sponsor spot, and we'll come back for that real quick. The Night Watchman, Louise Erdrich fascinating here to me. Roundhouse was her last book. Is that right, Rebecca? Ooh, there was one after there that. One. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Both of those sold pretty well, though, is my memory. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing with this? I think I'm holding. Yeah, I, I think, think Louise Erdrich is just steady as she goes. Yeah. Um, first print run is 150000 here. That seems, you know, that's big for literary fiction, mm-hmm. but that seems right to me for her. She might have a big breakout at some point, but... It's not going to be this one. I don't think it's going to be this one either. It takes over. It's a lot of characters. It's a long span of time, loosely based on her father's life um, and his fights for the rights and um, welfare uh, of their tribe. It doesn't sound like there's a mystery at the heart of it. There's maybe not enough plot. It sounds like it's very well written and a lot of interesting characters. So I don't think it's going to go outside the expected bubble that you would expect of Erdrich at this point, even though that's a pretty good bubble. Like... It's mm-hmm. an um, Elizabeth Strout-sized bubble, which we both, I think, held on for all of again. And I think we were right. Like, it did, that book did very well. Yeah. It didn't out, do outside, but it still did very well, what you expect. This feels to me in the same vein as um, what the Elizabeth Strout's kind of footprint is on the literary culture. All right. Next up, The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel hmm. comes out. March 24th. Um, it is about a financier's Ponzi scheme that unravels and reveals a bunch of unexpected connections between a cast of characters that you wouldn't think were connected. I couldn't find print run numbers or book deal mm-hmm. info about this. Um, Kirkus gave it a starred review. PW gave it a starred review. This seems really, this is her first novel since Station Eleven. It seems. But not her first book, right? But not her first book, is it? Am I wrong? Continue. Go ahead. I'll look it up. Was there another? Maybe there was another one. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your spiel. I I shouldn't have interrupted. 
it's either the first or second novel since Station yeah, Eleven. Yeah. We haven't, if it's the second one, we haven't seen her do anything big. And I think what we're seeing is that, like, this book seems pretty different from the vibe of Station mm. Eleven. At the time that it came out, Station Eleven was very different from all of her previous work. A lot of it had, like, a really quiet crime fiction um, feel to it or was overtly crime fiction. And I think the story here is that Station Eleven is the anomaly in the Emily St. John Mandel yeah. catalog. Um, I don't know how much the publisher has invested in this book, but there's going to be a lot of hype because of the name. I hate to say it. I think I'm selling Emily St. John Mandel. I'm selling it too. It's too different of a genre to have much portability, I think, from Station Eleven. Mm -hmm. Station Eleven 2, six years ago, almost six years ago, I guess it's a Jenny Offal. Do people people who read Station Mm -hmm. Eleven know who wrote the book? I just, I just don't know. There's a Station Eleven adaptation in the offing. It'll be out after this. I just don't see this doing much. Um, yeah. I'm selling it to... I, you know what it was? That they reissued a bunch of her books after Station Eleven mm, was a thing. Yeah. And those didn't okay. really make a, much of an imprint um, on, on my minds. I don't know how well they sold or not. Wow, Station Eleven, 4,000 reviews on yeah. Amazon. Um that's really, really good. But then you look at the backlist that was reissued, and there's like two and three. So people yeah, haven't stuck around for the Emily St. John uh, Mandel sort of corpus where what, I guess what you said is this is the anomaly. And well, the people, even the people who read, read this because they saw Station Eleven, they're not going to pass it on like they did Station Eleven because it's something different. It has to be right, exactly. totally like, different. I think that's really tough when the book that comes after yeah. the phenomenon is really different because you can sell the book on the strength of, I liked this author's last book, but if it's a really different feeling and if it's not the thing that the reader is expecting, then the publisher has succeeded in selling that book to that right. reader. But I don't think that's a long-term great game plan for like for longevity for an author. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I really liked station 11. I've enjoyed some of her backlist, but I just, I don't think that this is, I don't think this career is on the um, upward trajectory. It must be tough, too, if the speculative fiction genre that she had great success with was not the genre she wanted to be participating in. Like, that's yeah. got to be tough. Like, that weirdly was her anomaly coming out of, it looks like, relatively mm-hmm. not familiar is, is um, maybe too pejorative, but familiar literary fiction trying something else and that thing being the thing is yeah. tough uh i think that is tough i think are we both gonna buy this one i don't know the city we I... became by n king jemison i feel the only reason i'm not buying i'm holding is i feel like jemison with her all of her success over the last couple of series is there another level to go to maybe there is mm. May, is there oh, another level there to go to and I, th- I think there is too, but that level is Stephen King. That level is Isaac Asimov. And not that she couldn't do it. It's just there's not that many names. The next rung for her to buy, to go from this rung to the next one, is all time, right? I mean, am I wrong about that? I think you might be like halfway okay, wrong. Okay, all right. Like this is, so the pitch is it's about five New Yorkers who come together to defend the city against an ancient evil. A thousand and percent in. 
Right. Yeah. So in 150,000 copies in the first print run, that's a pretty big deal yeah. for an, a new work of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's less, it sounds, I haven't read it. It sounds like it's less weird, like less out there in terms of fantasy than what her yeah. previous books have been. So she has the potential here to snag people who don't usually read fantasy, but can mm-hmm. be compelled by the idea of five New Yorkers coming together to defend the city against ancient evil. Like there's going to be, I think, an N.K. Jemison breakout moment. Like if there is, justice in the universe there will be an nk jemison breakout moment and i think this has the potential to be what, it, so what do you I mean bought. by breakout moment because i like not what she's won nebulas back to back and hugo's three times like in a row? um like breakout commercial success oh, you know like the martian airport like the night circus yeah. like one of those airport well like, like the, the house- station 11 station 11 yeah Airport bookstore yeah, household okay, name, fair, book, fair, fair. like book club readers, um, people who buy 10 books a year that they pick up off of like what's hot and popular now in Barnes and Noble. Um, mm. And I, I think that this hat like this smells like it could do that to me. Yeah, I think um, and I don't know how uh, calculated is the wrong word. I don't know how intentional it was to be a little come off the high fantasy cliff a little bit to move more into a almost sounds like a King kind of fantasy. Like Mm -hmm. King is speculative fiction, right? With horror thrown in where this is a combination. It's moving towards the commercial from genre. uh, Much like it sounds, it sounds a little bit like a zone one kind of a blend of commercial slash literary with a speculative fiction Mm -hmm. vibe in it. Yeah, because I I think think it's interesting. I think for the average reader, the pitch of like she's won two Nebula awards no means one cares. nothing. Yeah, they don't care. Right. They don't care. They don't care. Um, so th- I think this could get her to the place of just like this is a cool book that people will pass along to each other. And high fantasy is intimidating to mm. a lot of people. It's intimidating to me. And I get paid to think about books. <laughs> uh, so um, something that has less of a barrier to entry. I think this sounds like super appealing. I'm just really ready to read it. Yeah. And the cover, I think, represents what the book is kind of doing, where it's got this almost historical black and white photograph of the New York skyline with this fractured multicolor kind of shadows behind Mm -hmm. each of the buildings and under the bridge that looks like, you know, kind of a different universe waits just behind it. I'm really excited for this. I really wish it was standalone. I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I really want to read this one. Like usually with the Jemison, I can wait because like, but I'm really, like I love New York. Like I really want to yeah, read this, but I... and it's only one of two. So I might have to wait that. Let's not like I'm waiting through five Game of Thrones books. I'm really torn, Rebecca. I, I'm very oh. uncomfortable here. Um, do you want me to read it first and tell you if there's a cliffhanger? There's going to be a Does... cliff. I mean, even it, look, it doesn't, it's almost better for me if there's like an overt cliffhanger. Cause I, I feel like the person knows what's coming right after it's when it's, mm. I don't know. It's when it's one of those series of Mad Men where you could end it there or it could be another season. That That's what makes me uncomfortable because I don't know where it's going to go. I feel like it could take forever, blah, blah, blah. I think that it's too might give me enough internal uh, uh, juice to get over my very, very, as you can hear it in my voice, my, voice, my very, very strong <laughs> distaste for reading a book in a series when I have no publication date for the next one. Jemison doesn't miss deadlines. I mean, she she generally has hit Not the deadlines. So they happen pretty quick. It will be my luck, of course, that um, <laughs> the second one, th- this one's such a big hit, she gets super nervous about it and, you know, they change it or something else happens. Um, okay, so here's maybe, uh, here, I'm going to reframe your narrative. Thank you. Of what's worse, reading the first one and then like the 
ending up that the second one never comes out or never getting to read the first one because you were waiting forever. Oh, for both. The, I'd rather not read it. If the second one never, if the, I'd rather never really? to have shoes than to have the second shoe never drop. I'd rather wear sandals. Oh, okay. We're different yeah. humans, you okay. and me. <laughs> Is that true? Good to know. <laughs> I would, I would read the first one. Yeah. Did we hit them <laughs> all? This, I felt. Do, do we have I, any yeah, left? Yeah, we did. That's no. That's all thirteen. <sighs> it, it's. I've got to say, compared to our fall crop, um, not as many brand names. The biggest brand name here is Mantel. McBride. Mantel. Mm, yeah. That's tough. Very tough. Things could be interesting to see how this season shakes out. Like I'm a little, I'm less confident overall in Me our too. predictions yeah. than I was in the fall. Yeah. Me too. And we've heard that publishers are front-loading their year because of the election and they just don't want to have to mm-hmm. try to sell books in mid-October when we're all, uh, you, you just heard what we're going to be doing in my, in my exhale right there. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> right or that's wrong. Fiction. I don't know if that's right or that's wrong. I can certainly understand their reasoning. I, I would be, I'm terrified in general of the fall, but I would certainly wouldn't want to have to be publishing mid-list literary fiction in early mm-hmm. November by any stretch of the imagination. But it's not, I'm not seeing a bunch of titles here where I'm like, oh, I can see how this would normally be a fall book. Oh, that's a good and point. And it's yeah, only in the spring here. I, I wonder if we'll see those in like May, June. I personally know a couple writers who were supposed to have books out in late summer, early fall. And now those are January, February, March of 2021. Oh, getting pushed back. Reasons. Oh, I haven't mm-hmm. heard. Well, that that's very yeah. interesting too. So we're doing it after the election. Yeah. yeah. We have, there's a couple books um, that got bumped from this show. Well, they didn't get bumped. We just didn't, we didn't realize when they were actually coming out. But the, the big book of the summer from this point of view is the Suzanne Collins Hunger Games prequel Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, um, yeah. which I'm fascinated to see what that book is, how it does, what the response to it is. I was trying to think, I think not since Go Said a Watchman has a book come out where I'm just interested to see what the the ripples look like, um, mm-hmm. because it's been so long. That book was a huge cultural phenomenon, but also feels like it hasn't aged, not, not in terms of the content particularly well, but the legs haven't been as um, sturdy as they thought they might have been. It feels like more of a museum piece at this point now, and I don't know what that means. If anything, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's going to be the signal book pop that has a crossover into mainstream culture kind of effect um, possibility there. Of these 13 books, I'd sure like to hear what you guys out there are interested in in hearing more about and which ones you know for sure you're going to read, which one you couldn't um, be paid to read. Send us an email, podcast. Mm-hmm. At bookriot.com. Also, if we missed anything that you're especially interested in reading, uh, basically that's being published now through April, let us know. What's next on? Oh, our next bonus episode is our next installment of Adapt- Adaptation Nation, where we look at literary adaptations, and we're going to go deep. So deep. I'm so ready. On Watchmen, the HBO series, um, executive show run by Damon Lindelhoff. Uh, I, I don't know if we talked about on the show. I love this series. We, ta- we talked about the first couple episodes in the fall. I said I would watch the whole thing. I did. I loved it. You are finishing up now. You really enjoy mm-hmm. it. You got Bob I'm on the Watchmen train. Oh, yeah. Bob's on the Watchmen train. Bob, who has not read the graphic novel, so he's making lots of confused noises. Yeah. So we'll talk about that for an hour. If you've got questions, things you would like to hear us talk about in regard to that episode, oh, you yeah. have a few days to get us an email, podcast at bookride.com too. Rebecca? 
We'll see yes. how we are going to do. Oh, I was going to ask you this. Sorry, one more. The last one I, mm-hmm. I just teased. You get one of these that you, you can green light at uh, HBO Max. What are you green lighting? Ooh, I'm green lighting new I waves. I really want to watch that. I'm torn. The city we became, I feel like would do would be really cool to see on screen. But O'Neill's razor holds me back uh, mm-hmm. from there. Okay, well that's that's interesting that we're on the same tip. Uh, all right, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, have a good one. <laughs>